Well, good morning and welcome again. Thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate you being here and uh, your presence in this room is uh, just part of what being a part of a church is about, worshiping God together, coming into his presence together, um, opening the word and reading the word together. And so thank you for joining us here. Um, If you're in this room or if you're across the hall in the overflow room, thank you for being a part of stuff this morning. Uh, My name is Matt, and I get to uh, share this morning, uh, this is week number two in a series that Jim started last week called I Choose. Our choices matter far more than we realize. And so through the course of, uh, this is a four-week-long series, so we have two more weeks after this. We're really just trying to highlight a couple specific choices that we can make that really, um, that really move the needle when it comes to our faith and when it comes to our ability to follow Jesus well. Um, some basic choices that we can make on a daily basis. Um, some of the choices are, are even bigger than just a daily basis, but the choices that really do matter, that matter for today, that matter for the future. Um, I think that one of the the biggest challenges that we face kind of really as a culture is this disconnection between the choices we make and the long-term impact that they're going to have in our life and, and down the road. I was, I was the youth pastor here for um, most of the last 10 years, 11 years maybe, and um, one of the things I always ended up kind of coming back to in conversations with students and one of the things I was always trying to stress in our student ministry was to help young people understand that like the things that you choose to do today really, really, really do matter for like tomorrow and further down the road. And the choices that you make today set your trajectory for what your life is going to look like uh, in, in a couple years, in 10 years. Sometimes the choices we make today have uh, like trajectory-shaping impact for decades to come. I, I'm sure if any of you had a chance to kind of talk about your past and choices that you made, you could look back and identify specific choices that you made that really shaped the direction and the quality of your life. And so that's what we're trying to stress through these couple weeks is that as a follower of Jesus, there are choices that we make regularly that have significant impact. Whether we choose poorly or choose well, it impacts tomorrow for us and it impacts the future. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Today is week two. The title is Surrender Over Control. I choose surrender over control. Is there anybody in here who's uh, you, kind of like a self-identified control freak? If you are, go ahead and reach over and raise the hand of the person that's next to you. <laughs> that's not original. I heard someone say that once, and I thought it was funny, and so I stole it. We all have these tendencies, though, to to want to control something. We like to control our lives. We like to control. Sometimes the people around us, we like to control our circumstances. Um, I tell my wife sometimes, I look at her when we're just kind of watching our kids. Um, I've said this for a bunch of years, that everybody wants to control something. Everybody wants to be in charge of somebody. Um, When I look at my kids, it's like 
all of them want to look at the one that's younger than them and like boss them around. They, they all have that thing in them from the time we're little. We, we just do this. It's just like a part of being a human is that we want to look at our situation and our circumstances and we want to exert our control or our authority on our circumstances or on those around us somehow. I mean, even going down to like my youngest kids, when you get down to the youngest ones and they don't have anyone younger to boss around, they want to boss around the dog. And so like it's, it's just that thing. And so even, even from infancy, there's this desire to have control and a desire for autonomy. We have a baby that's at our house right now that is uh, six months old. And so she's right at this point where she's just starting to want to control like her eating. And so six months old, and she's wanting to be the one to like grab the bottle and try to hold it, but she can't do it. So she just makes a big mess everywhere. Like it's super fun. It's not really that fun, but like (laughs) she already at six months old is wanting to control her circumstances and wanting to be the one that's in charge. And like, I don't want you to put the bottle in my mouth. I want to put the bottle in my mouth. And it's just that thing that is in us. We have this kind of built-in human desire to be in control. This is not something that's new with like our culture today. This is not something that's new to these generations that are reflected in this room, this is something that's been going on forever. You can look back through uh, history. You can look back through scripture. You can look at, at characters and circumstances and individuals through all of the Old Testament, and you can see that this is kind of one of the roots of a lot of issues for people. That desire to, like, I, I want to do things my way, and I kind of want to be autonomous, and I want to control things in the way that I think they should go. All the way back, literally to like the very beginning of Genesis that we can read, and you read the story of Adam and Eve, and that ultimately is like the root for them, is that they had a desire to control their circumstances and didn't really want to do things in the way that God had instructed them. And they didn't want to live within kind of the guidelines that God had laid out. Instead, they said, like, we think we might know better. And so we're going to do something else. You fast forward, even just the first, like, 10, 15, 20 chapters of the book of Genesis, there are all these stories of different characters and different people who had the same issue. I think of Abraham and Sarah Um, just a little bit uh, further along in Genesis. And Abraham and Sarah had been promised, uh, they'd received a promise from God that God was going to use them to, um, he told Abraham that he was going to be like the father of many nations. I said, through you, like, I will bless the whole world. Like, it'll be from you that, uh, like, nations are born. And Abraham and Sarah were... uh, advanced in age, and they had no children yet. And that, and that was a, a, obviously a desire for them, and they had this promise from God that like, God was going to use them and their offspring to like, do these amazing things. And they got to the point where they realized, like, 
well, God doesn't seem to be coming through in the way that we thought he was going to come through. And so they take things into their own hands and they try to grab for control of the situation. And what you can read about is that they chose to say, you know what, God is obviously like not going to make it possible for this like 90-year-old uh, woman, Sarah, to become pregnant. So we must have missed that boat. So maybe, maybe we misheard God, but like, let's try to make things happen anyway. And so Abraham sleeps with like the servant girl to try to have a child through her. And like, it's just this entire mess. And really, if you look at the history, like you can trace back like geopolitical um, problems all the way back to that, that we've been experiencing for thousands of years as a result of Abraham and Sarah looking at their circumstance and saying like, Instead of going with what God said he was going to do, instead of kind of being patient and trusting and waiting, we're going to try to grab for control and take things into our own hands. You fast forward, and uh, there are so many examples, it's hard to even pick out a couple. Um, But you look at someone like King David, and King David had the same issue in his um, most uh, well-known and written about and, and uh, his sin that, that we kind of look at as his major downfall in his, his um, experience with Bathsheba and, and taking a woman that wasn't his to take and orchestrating the death of her husband. Like, King David is looking at his circumstance and saying, I, I kind of want to be in charge. I want to control things, to move to a future that I want to have. And you fast forward to the New Testament, and this idea of God's people wanting autonomy, God's people wanting to control things shows up over and over in the New Testament too. You can read through the words of Jesus. You can read through the words of the apostles. You can read through the letters to the early church. And the same theme shows up over and over that God's people are choosing instead of surrender and submission to God, they're choosing to do things their own way. They're choosing to try to control their circumstances and their situations in the way that they think is best. And they're called back over and over and over and over and over again to surrender to God and to let him be the one who calls the shots. So that's kind of where we're talking about things today. That's where we're going to go over the next um, couple minutes that we have together, is this idea that for us, we have a choice to make on a daily basis. And the choice ultimately is to try to grab for control or to choose to surrender and let God be in control. We have the choice to try to manipulate our circumstances, to set our plans for the future, to, to try to create um, life situations for us that we think are best, or to surrender to what God thinks is best. And this is the choice 
that we have to make. Before we, we get too far um, into it, I, I just want to start by reading a section out of James. I said through the New Testament, you read about the same stuff. James is one of those places where you can read about it. And so I'm going to read most of a whole chapter. And so because it's long, I'm not going to put it on the screen. If you want to just listen to me, you can. If you want to try to follow along in your Bible app or on, on the Bible from the chair in front of you, or if you have your own Bible, you can follow there too. I'm going to read from James chapter 4 and just try to look at a few of the ways that James is confronting this same idea in the people that he's writing to. In a lot of versions, this whole chapter, the heading at the beginning of this whole chapter, it says, submit to God. I'm going to start James chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous for what others have, and you can't possess it. So you fight and quarrel to take it away from them. And yet, the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. I mean, isn't this true for us? Yeah, there, there is so much energy that we spend going after things that will satisfy our own pleasure. So much of our energy is spent creating life circumstances and, and situations where we are going to feel the most comfortable, where we're going we're gonna to feel the most secure, where we're going to feel the safest, where we're going to have the most enjoyment. And it's not that those things necessarily are bad, but what James is pointing out here is that the constant pursuit of those desires comes at the expense frequently of what God is calling us to. The constant pursuit of comfort and safety and security and, and satisfaction of our own desires and pleasures comes frequently at the expense of what God has in mind for us. Let's keep reading verse 4. He says to them uh, as he continues, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with this world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, that if your aim is to enjoy this world, you can't be a friend of God. That's a rough sentence to read. If, you're, if your aim is to enjoy this world, you can't be a friend of God. And yet, that, that for many of us is just the root of our desire to control, is that we just want things to be the way we want them to be. Keep reading. Uh, verse 5. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed within us, jealously longs for us to be faithful? He gives us more and more strength to stand against such evil desires. Uh, verse 7, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Let there be tears for the wrong things you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Verse 10, 
When you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him, he will lift you up and give you honor. When you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him, he will lift you up and give you honor. And this is so hard. To bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him. This is hard for me. This is hard for all of us. Because ultimately, like, we just don't want to depend on God. Like, really, if we're honest, really, if I'm honest, like, I don't want to depend on God very much. I want to depend on me. I want to, I want to be capable enough to be able to just depend on myself. We, we kind of elevate this, um, I don't know, this concept in, in our culture. We elevate this concept in uh, masculinity a lot of times that like to depend on another is to be weak and to be dependent on anyone else for my well-being or for to meet my needs or to make decisions for me is for me to be weak. Even the term surrender has this connotation to it that it's like I'm weak and you have overpowered me and so surrender is like my last resort because I'm giving in to you who is my enemy and you finally have conquered me. I don't want to depend on God because I want to depend on me. And yet, what we read over and over and over and what we learn through studying scripture is that that is not the call to the followers of Christ. That to the followers of Jesus, to those who have given their lives and their hearts and their futures to him, the call is to dependence. The call is to surrender. And it's not a surrender that is like a last resort giving up. It's like a voluntary, I'm, I'm choosing your way and I'm, I'm offering myself and my plans and my future to you because what you have in mind for me is better. He says that. He says, when you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him, he will lift you up and give you honor. Following Jesus means a death to the old way of doing things and a rebirth into a totally new way of living. It means a new life where we are not the one who is primarily in control of our life. I'm going to say that again. It, to follow Jesus means a new life where we come to the place where we are not primarily the one who is in control. But that's so hard. It's so hard. And it is a lifelong um, battle between like, our natural tendencies to grab for control and our ability to say, God, you are in control. The last part, I'm gonna skip a little bit in James 4. The last part of James 4 says this, starting in 13. 
It says, look here, you people who say today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you, he says, how do you know what will happen tomorrow? For your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you will be boasting about your own plans, and all such boasting is evil. God's plans for my life have almost never been my plans for my life. Anyone else identify with that? God's plans for my life has, have almost never been my plans for my life. I've had plans for my life Really, in every season of my life, I've had plans. And they rarely have lined up with what God's plans were. I can go back to, to I don't know, five or six kind of major like crossroad kind of moments in my life over the last handful of years. Um, and I can recognize the ways that my plans at the time were, were not the same as God's plans. I go back to even when I was a teenager, and if you're like um, me, which I think almost every teenager is the same way, really, I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I didn't know where my future was going to be. I was convinced and confident in one thing, and that was that I wanted to get as far away from the town I grew up in as I possibly could. Anyone else ever feel that same thing? Like you feel like you grew up somewhere, and you're like, I don't care where I go, but it's just got to be somewhere that's not here. I think that's just this like shared experience among a lot of adolescents. Um, it's ironic because I grew up here, like in Cottonwood. This is where I grew up. And my plan was very much not to be here 20 years later. Um, if you talk to the 17-year-old version of me and said, where are you going to be in 20 years? Cottonwood was like the very bottom of the list. But here I am. Like, God's plans for my life were not my plans for my life. Um, I had career uh, thoughts at that point in my life, some things that I thought I wanted to do. Um, wildly different, not even close to the ballpark of what I'm doing right now or what I've done my whole life. Like, I, I never saw those things come to fruition at all. Like, God's plans were just different than my plans for my life. Um, I, I dated a girl for a, a couple years and thought that I was probably going to end up marrying her. And she's not the one that I'm married to. Because God's plans are, are frequently different than my plans for my life. I never wanted a minivan But, but God has blessed my family richly, and um, I have too many kids <laughs> that live in my house to be able to have anything but a minivan now. And it, in fact, we have two minivans. And so that's like how life has transpired, because my plans are just not always the same as God's plans for my life. Most recently, a couple years ago, my wife started talking about, you know, like, I, I am wondering if, like, we're, 
we should be um, foster parents. And, and I just had no desire to do that. Like, I wasn't interested in foster care at all. I wasn't interested in, like, the, the messiness of that. I wasn't interested in the added chaos that that would bring to, like, our life and our family. And at this point, we, we've had a couple different foster kids that have lived with us and one that we've um, adopted and... Like, God changed things in a way, but I recognized that, like, my plans were not the same as God's plans for my life and for our family and for my future. But you read here in James 4, and we all do this. He says, look, you people say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town. We're going to stay there for a year. We all, we all have these plans. We look forward and say, this is where things are going to go. And this is how I'm going to get from here to there. And this is how things are going to kind of transpire. And we try to grab, and we try to coerce, and we try to manipulate, and we try to force things down the path that we want things to go. And what he's saying to these Christians is what he says to us. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you'll be boasting about your own plans, and all such boasting is evil. Am I still on the title slide? We should move on a little bit. Why do we do this? Why, do, why is there this constant like grasping for control? Why is it that we have such a hard time surrendering to God and submitting to the things that he is calling us to or the things that he wants to do in us or through us or around us. I think there's two really primary reasons that we struggle so much with this. The first, the first is that I think that we can control because of our pride. Are you controlling because of pride? We see this in scripture so frequently that pride is like the root of a desire to control. What pride says is that I need to be in control because I know better. And so whether you're saying this to God, whether you're saying, I mean, I don't know that, that many of us would outright like say this directly to God, like I know better than you, but the way that we live, this is what we're saying to God, is that like, I know better. But this is, it's the same reason that we control other people, is because of our pride, because we are convinced that we know better. It's the same reason why you say to your husband, like, the dishes when you're loading the dishwasher, thank you so much, but the bowls don't go on that rack. And I've told you a hundred times that they don't go on the bottom, they go on the top because that's where they need to go because I know better. So sometimes that's okay. Like, but ultimately, like, pride is the root for for. A lot of us, pride is the reason that we're grasping for control and hanging on to things, that we say, I know better. And we say this to God. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. There's so many places in scripture that talk about the humility that's necessary for the follower of Jesus. They talk about the the essential quality of a Christian to be able to say, God, maybe I don't know it all. 
maybe you know better than I do. And so I'm going to choose to trust you. The second reason that I think that we really grab for things to try to control and try to manipulate and try to um, keep from a place of surrender is that we do that because of fear. So are you controlling because of fear? Are you controlling because of fear? Fear says, I need to be in control because I know my needs better. I need to be in control because I know my needs better. And whether you're saying this to, to the people around you, to, to the um, individuals in your life that you might be trying to control, or whether you're saying this to God directly or indirectly, like this is, this is what we say is that God, like you might be asking me to do that thing, but you don't realize how scared I am to do that. <laughs> you don't realize what that's going to cost me if I was to do that. You don't realize how uncomfortable it's going to be for me to obey you in that. And ultimately, what we're saying is, I know my needs, and I, I'm not going to be able to handle the challenges that are going to come with me being obedient to you right now. So I'm maybe going to not do that. I'm going to try to maintain control of my life and my plans and my decisions and my future because I'm too scared about what that might mean for down the road. I just read 1 Peter 5, 6, where it talks about humble yourself. The very next verse is, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. as this is a theme of scripture, the idea that we are grabbing for control, that we are trying to maintain our autonomy and, and keep God at a distance. Another theme like in response to that action is to um, condemn pride and then to say there, there's no place for fear. Instead, a follower says, I can let go of control because you know better. I can let go of control because you know better. Proverbs 3.5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. And so what am I talking about? I, I am talking about daily surrender of things that, aren't ours to control, that as, as we've made the decision to follow Jesus, that it comes with that decision, not just the initial surrender to say, yes, God, I, I love you, I receive like your gift and your grace, thank you for your forgiveness, like not just that initial surrender, but that to be a follower of Jesus requires that we continue daily to submit and surrender ourselves and our will and our plans and our hopes and our dreams to him and ask that he would be the one leading us and ask that he would be the one directing us and ask that he would be the one to make our paths straight. I think there are three questions to ask that are helpful. Um, and I think these are helpful like daily questions. I think these are helpful questions in, in those big crossroads kinds of moments where you're trying to make a decision about 
a, a major life move or something that's next or, or that kind of thing? Here are the three questions. The first is, where am I holding too tightly? I think this is an important and essential like daily question to ask God. What am I holding on to too tightly? Is there some place in my life where I'm trying to maintain control, but instead you are calling me to let go? What am I holding on to too tightly? The second thing is just, is this actually for me to control? There are some things in life that, that I would actually say, like, I believe that we're supposed to have personal responsibility in. An example, I think, is like our personal finances. I think that scripture has, has uh, given us some good guidelines. I think that there are some good instructions about um, working to not take on debt and, and to be generous and to be a good steward with the things that God has given us. And so um, in something like that, I don't think that we need to just like pull out the credit card and, and sing Jesus take the wheel like while we're, like there's, there's a certain level of personal responsibility. And so the answer to that sometimes is actually, yes, this is for me to control right now. Like, I am supposed to be controlling this part of my life. Sometimes that's the answer. But sometimes the answer is, no, this is not for you to control. This comes out frequently in our relationships with each other or, like, I mean, sometimes in, like, the, the way that you might control or try to control your spouse or your kids or your own future. And sometimes there are just things that are not supposed to be things that we control. As followers of Jesus, there are ways that we are supposed to look at pieces of our life and say, this is not for me to control. The third thing is just to regularly say, is this God's plan or is this my plan? And the most fun time is when the answer is that like those two things line up and, the, and like my plan is the same as God's plan. Like that's the best. But frequently... There are moments to realize, like, I think this is my plan, and I think I'm trying to force my plan into existence or into reality, and I just, maybe this actually isn't God's plan. I think it's important for us to daily go before God and say, what is your plan for me today? Like, is, is this thing that I'm doing, is this the way that I'm doing it, are these decisions that I have coming up next week and next month, what is your plan, God? And to sit and listen. Like, literally, that's what I think it means for us to, to daily surrender our will to his. As followers of Jesus, we are called not to be in control. And that's a counter-cultural thing to say. It's a counter, like, human instinct thing to say. But God is calling us to the point where we look to him as the guide as the one who is our leader, as the one who has more wisdom than we do, to say, I, I want to give myself to you, and I want to do what it is that you're asking me to do. That when I step into this relationship with you, Jesus, when I give my life to you as a follower of yours, I'm saying I'm going to choose voluntarily to submit to your will and to let you be the one who's calling the shots for me. 
and to let you be the one who's leading me to the places I need to go. Would you stand up with me and we just have this prayer that I'd like to pray together. Would you read it first by yourself and in just a moment we can pray it together. feel like this is an accurate representation of where your heart's at, um, would you just pray this out loud with me? Dear God, I want to see more clearly how I am controlling my life in ways that aren't mine to control. Help me to see how I can trust you more. Help me to do whatever you want me to do. Help me to go wherever you want me to go. Help me to be whoever you want me to be. I want to surrender to you. Amen. I told you over and over that my plans for my life were not the same as God's plans for my life. And I'm so grateful for that. At this point, I can look backwards on, uh, on all those things that I told you about and say, I'm so glad that God's plans for my life were not the same as my plans. Because God, has, in his um, ability to see a bigger picture than I can see, knew the things that he had for my future. And I'm so grateful for the ways that he steered me and for the ways that as I chose to surrender to him, that he led me to something that was better than I could come up with on my own. That's what he has for you too. How is it that you need to surrender control starting today to him? He has something good for you. Thanks for being here today. If you have anything you'd like prayer for, we have a prayer team that's over here to the right of the stage. They would love to pray with you for a couple moments this morning. Thank you. Thank you.